Welcome to Four Points Online. We are so honored that you're with us here today. And if God has used this ministry to change your life, we want to hear about it. So go to fourpoints.org slash mystory and tell us. You know what, it's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. If you want to give and be a part of what God's doing here at Four Points, go to our website and choose the safe and secure option. Or you can download our app and give there as well. And now we are so excited about hearing a powerful word from God today. This is what joy is, awareness of God's goodness and grace. The, listen, the awareness of God's goodness and grace, this is real quick, but this was last week. Awareness is not the same thing as being aware of. I'm aware that you are here. I, two people. Thank you for being with me, DP. I'm aware that y'all are alive. I'm aware that y'all are here in this place. I'm not aware of all of your circumstances with constant awareness of what's going on. That's what you have awareness about that I don't. If you send me a message and say, Pastor, pray with me, I begin to have more awareness, but that still doesn't put it in awareness because I'm not living with it. This is the thing that you live with constantly, that's constantly in your mind, that's constantly deep in your heart, that you just can't get rid of it. It's there, and it's awesome sometimes, and it's not good sometimes, because some of y'all know what bad awareness is. Y'all better not be quiet in here today. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what it is. It's bad. And to rejoice, this morning when we were praying, I read the prayer wall in the back, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I'll say rejoice just came to my mind. And it's to delight in God's goodness and grace, his favor. The rain this morning reminded me, because it's the picture of grace, of what God's blessing, his favor, his, his amazing grace on my life really is. It is not just the fact that he died, and that absolutely is grace, but it's the fact that I'm here today. It's the fact that I woke up today. It's the fact that it is raining, even though it's cold outside. That's beautiful grace from the Lord. Everything in my life that is good, every good gift comes from above coming down from the Father of lights is what the Bible said. That, that's the reality of my life. Everything that I have that is good is how I should be able to recall and rejoice in the constant grace and then remember it overwhelmingly all the time. So, what's the problem? What keeps me from that? What keeps me from having that joy in my life? What is the problem? And this is what most of us think, right? Have y'all seen this movie? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Don't lie. I know some of the teenagers have. Y'all don't lie about it. This is, this is Inside Out. It's the, it's the children's movie. When we went to see Mickey Mouse Disney World a few months ago, we stood in a line, this is real life, to try to meet these people. And while it was going on, I was just thinking to myself, this is real. It's an hour to meet. This person's name is Joy, and this person's name is Sadness. And I just thought to myself, golly be riding Space Mountain <laughs> or eating something good. Come on now, y'all can't be quiet in that part. And I got to go try to meet joy and sadness. And it was hilarious because she really was really happy and just like bubbly around. And did y'all watch Winnie the Pooh growing up? I feel like y'all are going to be quiet today and I need you to not because I'm a, like Eeyore's who I always think of. Everybody hates me. <laughs> right? I think we think that this is like the enemy. This is what keeps us from. A bad circumstance keeps me from. And so we constantly fight against. I just don't want to be sad, so I want to have joy. That's not, joy is not an emotion. And so sadness or sad circumstances 
Do not keep me from experiencing joy. It may keep you from a, for a minute or a season or whatever from happiness, but that's not the enemy of joy. That's not what keeps you from joy. There's something quite unique that keeps you from it, and I want to show it to you today. But, but before I read Genesis 1.28, I want you to lean in and listen to this. It's very important that you know that in 1.26 in Genesis, very first chapter in the Bible, very first book, God says, let us make man in our image. And so you were made in the likeness and in the image of God. Some of you remember this from our last sermon series and some of you don't. But just, just remember that you were made in God's image, meaning he put on you his glory and honor. He, he clothed you with his stuff. And the enemy knew that and so he thought, we got to do something about this. But, but before I get there, listen, God said one thing right after he said, let's make man. And then he made man in his image. And he said, look, I'm going to bless them. And then I'm going to tell them that they should be fruitful and multiply. To be fruitful and increase is to make more of what I already am. Not to try to do these magic tricks. We have made it in the church where if I do good for God, that means I'm teaching a class. Listen, if you're supposed to teach a class, I hope you teach a class. But that's not being fruitful and multiplying. You can teach classes till you're blue in the face. But if you're not really becoming more of what he already is, or 2 Corinthians 3, if you're taking notes, says that he changes me from glory to glory to glory, that he constantly makes me more like him. And a lot of times it's through bad circumstances. So I know some of you walked in with junk, but I need you to know that if you'll follow Jesus and you'll keep walking with him, he's just trying to mold you and make you like he wants you to be. And if you take time to look back, because I don't get the eyes to see what my current circumstances are going to be, but I have an opportunity to look back and say, I would have changed those events in my life. But I'm thanking the Lord Jesus that he allowed them to happen. And some of them are awful because it got me where I am today. I would not be a pastor were it not for some of the hell that I went through. But I wasn't happy, everybody, through some of that hell. I was not happy. But I can still experience joy. Why? Because my purpose was not, was not severed. My happiness was for a season, but my purpose wasn't severed. And, he, and then he calls us to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. This scares some denominations to death when you say the word dominion in human being. God's in control. So I don't know what you're talking about, but you better close your mouth because now, you now you're messing up because now you're trying to be God. No, no, no. I'm trying to operate like God called me to do. I'm tired of being an apologetic Christian when it comes to operating like he called me to operate. I'm ready to become the man of God that he called me to be. But listen, I can't do that by trying harder. I have to do that by making a decision with my mind and then, like I said to start with, with my heart. That no matter what comes against me, this is who I am. Something is trying to rob you of who you are. That's the problem. Something's trying to rob you of who you are and to cause you to not walk in this. And over the birds and the fish, that's very important today. That's very important. And every living creature in the earth. And so this is the very first chapter in the Bible. And then in the third chapter, Satan is introduced to us in the person of a, serp or in the person of a serpent or in the picture of a serpent, I mean. And we see him for the very first time tempting Adam and Eve in a very unique way. Now, if you grew up in church, you ever been in church, you went to vacation Bible school growing up, you had the flannel graphs, come on somebody, y'all know what I'm talking about. You saw the picture of Adam and Eve. What fruit did they eat? What did the apple do? Why do we hate apples so much? The honey crisps are on time, y'all. 
But this is, thank you, somebody knows what I'm talking about. But it says, the servant said to the woman, you won't surely die if you do the one thing that God told you not to, which was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you have all this stuff, but you got to not do one thing. All I need you to do is not do one thing. And if you do that one thing, then you will die. Now, that death was not a womb, and then they died physically. It was a spiritual death or a separation from God's presence and power in my life. Most of us operate in that spiritual death every day and are full of head knowledge about God. And here's the problem. Satan came to her, the serpent, and said, God knows that when you eat of this fruit, the word eat means to ingest or take in information, not like we've always thought it was. God knows that when you take this information in that is good and evil, that your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Listen, pride always, always, always tries to get me to be like God. Or better yet, it tries to get me to be the God of my own universe. So the reason that I begin to operate, y'all check this, when I'm wronged, because some of you will be wronged today. If you hang out with me long enough, I will wrong you. I will make a mistake. Sometimes I'll do it on purpose out of anger. Sometimes I'll operate because I'm just a jerk sometimes and I'm a human being, and I will wrong you. The moment that we're wronged, sick people wrong us. How I respond tells me where I am with the Lord. Not what, not what happens when it's good, how I respond. Because my pride says, you, who are you talking to? Right? I know nobody else does that, but I do that. Who are you talking to? Not, you better back up. Cutting me off in the traffic. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you saw it yesterday in Jesus' name. All right, moving on. And it says you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. The enemy wants you to have eyes open to what he wants you to see. The enemy wants you to have eyes opened to see what he wants you to see. He'll let you see anything and everything. With Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, the first time that we see that he was tempted, he said, Jesus, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you all of this stuff. And if he could offer Jesus everything, then he could offer you what your heart desires more than anything else. If all we want is to reach success or reach what we think that we need, and we pray prayers that are only God, now I lay me down to sleep, now give me what I need to eat. Like if that's, you're welcome. If that's the only thing that we pray, and it's all about me when I pray, then I'm telling you, the enemy can give you what you think you're asking God for. God is not worried about what you think your plan for your life is. God is worried about your heart and where it is and whom it belongs to, him or the enemy. And the enemy takes these evil tricks and he says, I just want you to be like God. And that's what he wants. And he just doesn't. He's just trying to, I don't know why he's holding back. So the woman saw that it was good and it was a delight to the eyes. Y'all, I'm pretty sure that every sin that we ever deal with, that's the issue. Because the Bible says that the eyes are the window to my soul. And I don't think I've ever had a sin that I've struggled with that didn't start with a problem with what I see. Because faith comes by hearing, not what I see. And so when I begin to see things that I don't like, I then operate from the people that God's called me to love and curse them. And I live in this heavy tension of I don't like what I see. I can't believe you did that. I don't like this. And then I covet or I go after lust. And that's not always sex, by the way. It's anything that I am pulled to. I begin to have those issues in my life because 
Satan always attacks you in your eyes to try to get you, listen, this is important, to see what God never wanted you to see. And that the tree was to be desired, and the desires in the Bible are fascinating. They're summarized in lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And they're all summarized right here in this chapter when he tempts her and then him. And to make one wise, you can know as much as God. Y'all remember that age, and I don't know how old it is, and I'm not calling teenagers out because it's not your fault. It's not anybody's fault. We all went through it. But when we were little kids, Santa Claus was cool. Do y'all remember that? Some of y'all are like, I'm not talking today because it's awkward. Do y'all remember when Santa Claus was cool? Come on, somebody. And y'all don't lie to me. Y'all went outside and checked to see if Rudolph was on your house. Tell the truth, right? And you were excited and you were like, I heard the pause. I told my parents one time, I heard the pattering. Y'all are lying, but I heard it, right? And I, I promise you, as God is my witness, I know it was a plane, but don't take my joy from me, somebody. I saw a red light. It was Christmas Eve, and I saw it. And it was about midnight. I was told he came at midnight, so I know that he was at my house. I don't care if he didn't come to your house. And I, we have this innocence as a child that we go out and we do these things. In, in a week from Saturday, we're going to have pancakes with Santa here at the church to bring kids in and have pictures with Santa Claus. If I ask some of y'all to take a picture with Santa Claus until you get old enough that you just really don't care anymore, you'd be like, who are you talking to? Crazy. <laughs> My dad's hoping that that doesn't happen with me. You're welcome because he's Santa Claus. Don't tell nobody. <laughs> but, but, that, but at some point in time, our parents that were awesome, right? Because right now to my son, I, I haven't seen him in a couple days, and he just ran in my office, y'all. He tried to tackle me. Daddy! So excited. There will be a time that I'm not cool anymore. Some of y'all said yes way too much. I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to my kids now. Because there's sometimes that our eyes are open to a different reality. And we begin to say, they gave me a curfew. They're just dumb. They're trying to tell me all this stuff, trying to take from me. <laughs> I know better. If y'all never did this, y'all are just better people than me. I'm just telling y'all right now. All of us felt this way. When we got to college, we thought that there weren't many rules, but we thought the, the few rules that they were were ridiculous. We're adults now. We're on our own. We should be able to do whatever we want. And now, as old people, we wish that we had some of those rules. Come on, y'all better talk to me in here. I wish someone was paying my bills. Don't be quiet, because that's the truth. And it's, it's so funny because as children, we so want to grow up and then we look back as old people and we say, how much fun would it be to not have that and to just have an innocence? Because that's what the enemy was trying to rob here. Because y'all, they were walking around naked and they didn't ever worry about it. That sounds good to me. Just me and Leah now. I'm not throwing y'all in the mix, but that sounds good to me. And I tried that, and she never wants to go with it. I don't understand what's going on, but don't tell her I said that. And she also gave Adam some fruit after she ingested the information of good and evil. And look what happened. Their eyes were both open, and they knew. Everybody say knew. That they were naked. Here's the irony of that is they were naked 20 seconds before that. But their innocence was what was stripped away, not their clothes. They didn't have clothes before, physically speaking. But their innocence was stripped away and all of a sudden they had a reality that was different than the one that God had set before them. And so they sewed these fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. Now listen, this is the first time shame is introduced in the Bible. 
It's the first time we see shame. And it's ultimately how Satan wants to get you. The enemy wants to get you to operate in shame. He wants to get you to operate feeling this guilt. But guilt stops at what I've done wrong. Shame leads to who I am. Shame becomes my identity and my person. Actually, the definition is fascinating because look at this. The enemy of my joy is shame, and shame is disowning who I am. So, so constantly when I'm battling whether or not I have joy, I look at my circumstances, but my circumstances have nothing to do with whether or not I'm experiencing joy. The enemy wants you to believe that the fact that you don't have the clothes on that you wish you had, the fact that you're not going to the school or get accepted to the school that you wish you could have been, the fact that you don't have parents that you wish you did so you lived in a better house, the fact that, that your ex keeps bringing stuff up from the past and people tell you that you'll never be what you could be because of your past marriage, the fact that all these things in your life are taking place. The enemy wants to remind you of your past, remind you of your past, remind you of your past, not so that you don't have fun. He could care less all that you do. He could care less if you're a pastor. He just wants to make sure that you don't operate in joy. Why? Because that is how God made you. And when you start having the joy of the Lord, and the joy of the Lord is your strength, well, all things start changing. And it's not my talent that changes people. It's not my gift that changes people. It's the Lord Jesus in me that begins to change the world around me. And if he could just get me to see things the way that he wants me to see things, well, then he's got me right where he wants me. Why? Because it's, it's not just disowning what I've done or hating what I've done. And you need to repent when you sin. But once you repent, which means to turn and to change my mindset to his mindset, once the repentance has happened, the confession's happened, and you pay the consequences, whatever, humanly speaking, those consequences are, that is not who you are. That's what you did. But the enemy wants you to believe that that's who you are forever. And some of you walked in here today and you did things this week. And you're so ashamed to be in here because the world has said shame on you. Shame on you. Some of you have family members that have said shame on you for doing that. Some of you have probably had pastors, and I may have even done it, that have said I'm ashamed of you. I need you to know but there's not one time in the Bible that you can find someone that was following Jesus. There's not, listen to what I'm saying. There's not one time in the Bible that you can find someone that's following Jesus. And I'm telling y'all right now, if you read it, there are times that I would have said it. If I'm about to die and I'm in prison and they're beating me and the next morning I'm going to get crucified and the dude that's one of my three closest people in the world deny that they even know me and cuss an eighth grade girl, I'm going to be ashamed of Peter. But Jesus was never ashamed to him. Golly, Moses, I'm about to preach and ran to him. He ran to him. Not only was he not ashamed of him, but he ran to him and he used that as an opportunity to show him what it can be. Why do we look at the world and say, I'm ashamed of you? They don't know Jesus. Gracious, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's good. Shame robs my innocence. And this is important, y'all. And it leads to distrust. This is where I think we are as a society, as a people. We're in the information age. We're in the information age. It's amazing. I'm thankful, y'all. I'm, I'm not apologizing for the time that we live or the place that we live. I'm not mad at social media. But I'm telling y'all, I can find out anything that I want I mean, on my phone, I can study for a whole message. I can study for this message and find out Greek and Hebrew on an app. I can skip through seasons. I don't even watch seasons anymore because I love to binge watch seasons. Does anybody else do that? Don't lie to me in here. Come on. Because we like it right now, right away, ba-boom. That's how we want the world to be. 
And it's beautiful, and I'm not mad at it. But when it becomes my reality, it puts off something called dopamine that shifts something in my life, and it messes with me. It's the same thing that sexual sin puts off. It's the same thing that hard narcotics puts off. But listen, scientists have discovered that it's even more so when you get a text message from somebody that you've been waiting on that you think is really cool. Y'all listen to this. You think that person is awesome, and you send them a text. You got their phone number, and you're like, it could be someone quasi-famous, you know, or something that whatever you think is awesome, and they text you back. Something happens, and y'all know this, and you can't even describe it, but it happens to you, and you lean in, and you get this fulfillment that takes place that you want that more. And it is so drug-oriented, active, amazing. When people like things on your social media pages, it does that. When you don't get enough likes or enough hearts or enough whatever you want to get, I don't know what you want to get, but retweets or whatever. I don't know how Snapchat works, so I'll just leave that alone. When you get enough whatever you're supposed to get on those, we get excited and want more and want more. Why? Because we live in this information age, and when I don't get it, listen, this is hilarious how we operate. When you don't like something of mine, when you don't, when you don't, never mind the fact that your wife is in the hospital and you couldn't return my text message, but when you don't, because I so desire your approval in my life, when you don't respond to me, I get angry with you and I lose trust, which causes me to say that person never had my best interest in mind, which causes me to begin to operate in a place that he never called me to and I have no joy. And then I'd say they must be ashamed to be my friend. They weren't ashamed. They were fixing something. But we, we operate in such a fast society needing these things in our lives to feel fulfillment. There's nothing wrong with your phone. But if your phone is your God, meaning that you have to check it as soon as you wake up in the morning. That you can't put it to the side for five hours. That you can't go on a date. I don't care if you're a teenager in here. You better listen to this one. With your wife or your girlfriend, men. Without checking the sports score, it's going to be there when you get done. And they ain't going to win or lose because of you. I'm preaching better than y'all are talking to me, I promise you. <laughs> but we're in such a society that we want right now. Listen, this is, so, this is, this is a bomb I need y'all to catch. That when we feel like we're not hearing from God because we're not hearing what we want to hear from God, because it's not immediate, we just turn and walk away. And we say, I believe in God, but I don't know if I fully trust God. Listen, let me tell you the irony of that. The God of the universe who made you in his image, who loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you, to take the place of all your junk and to give you life in his name by dying and raising again. By not just dying for you, but living for you, by loving you every single day, by his love being new every morning, we tell him that we don't think he has our best interest in mind. And if y'all don't do it, then I'll stand up here and declare that I'm the only one that does. But I operate in this every day because it leads to a distrust. Because in my own mind and in my own pride and in seeing is believing lifestyle that we live in, and I can get it right now and I can have the answers and I can Google it if I don't know it. Faith is this foreign object that we don't really understand. And the result of that is to experience the fullness. It's not a magic word that certain denominations get to have. It's the reality that God planned for you. The fullness of God, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The fullness of God in my life is so foreign. Because I can find it on Google if God doesn't have it. And that's, it is funny, but it's, it's so true. 
There's a picture that I want to show you in one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And in this picture, it's God standing with Ezekiel in a vision. And he's looking at the temple in Jerusalem. And there's water that begins to trickle out of the threshold of the, of the eastern wall. And it flows down. And it's actually the valley of death. And it's such a beautiful story, I could preach it right now and show you pictures and it'd be awesome. But I want you to see this when it comes to trusting God. Because I don't know that there's a better picture in the Bible of trust than this one. It says, it says when it was going eastward and down the valley toward the Dead Sea, he took a measuring line and measured a thousand cubits. And the river of life, this is the river of life. This is, this is God's presence. This is God's power flowing through you. Started trickling down and he said, come with me. And he led me to waters that was about ankle deep. And y'all just start picturing this like we're there, like we're walking. A thousand cubits is a good little ways. And so they walk, let's say it's a thousand yards because y'all can picture that better. A thousand football fields. They walk and they get ankle deep in water. And you're like, God, I can take the journey with you this far. We're cool. So far, I'm cool. I got trust you. I trust you here. I trust you. And so they keep going and they walk another thousand steps with God. Thousand big steps with God. God, I still trust you hand in hand. Uh, wherever you lead, I'll follow. And I'll sing songs with you. And this is all good. And then it becomes knee deep. I still trust God in this water because I can still control what's going on under me in that much water. And even... When it gets waist deep, y'all see that? When it gets waist deep, I can, I, I can still manipulate and control what's taking place in, in my life in waist deep water for the most part. I know there's some really heavy waters that rush and really heavy rivers that go, and sometimes I might lose control. But pretty much if I can lock my toes in the sand, I can make what's going on go on. I can decide that it's not safe and I can turn back. I can decide that, nah, that was good, God, but this is crazy. I'm not going to keep going with you because this is dumb. But then... He measured a thousand more, and there was a river that I could not pass through. Y'all ever been swimming in a body of water that has some pretty good movement? I think of like whitewater rafting in a big river, and you fall off the back because someone on the second row that I'm pointing at pushes you over with an oar because he thinks it's funny, and you get caught in the river. I don't know if y'all have ever been in this, but because we wore life jackets, we were okay. But it does this crazy spin. We found one time this thing that'll hold you, and it's the coolest thing ever, and we did this body surfing thing on it. And I just think of these things as a heavy river that's flowing that you cannot control because it's whitewater rapids in your life. The Spirit of God is active and alive. It is, the, Hebrews chapter 13 says the Spirit of God is a consuming fire. And, and we think that we get to look at God and say, I'm going to control you. And then we say, God, I want your joy. But you don't get to choose either or. It's a both. God's spirit is alive. It's powerful. It came down like fire from heaven in Acts chapter 2. And it is available for each one of you. But you don't get to say, I'm going to keep my toes in the sand and then we're going to go do this thing. Because it's a river that cannot be passed through. It's a river that takes you where it wants to take you. But it's not a river that you get to say, I'm going to turn right right now. He's going to turn right when he's ready to turn right. Why? Because he's leading me on a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Not for my own sake and not for what he thinks that I have a good idea now, so let's go this way. He puts an idea in my mind and makes it explode as a seed in my heart. And then I start declaring it and believing it because it came from him. But when I get this crazy, wacky idea and he doesn't want me to go there, he's got a funny way of turning me this way and saying, nah, dude. And I get upset because God didn't give me what I wanted and he's protecting me the whole time from the place in the river that will really kill me. When I think of this story, I think of a couple things, y'all. Uh, we take a beach retreat every year with the students. It's so much fun. 
in July. And um, for a few years, we went to Panama City. And in Panama City, I don't know if y'all have ever been to the Gulf Coast, but it's clear water. And it's not really big waves most of the time. And then you can go out a certain way. There's almost always sandbars, right? There's almost always sandbars. So I took a group of students a couple years ago, and we went out to the sandbar probably, I don't know, it was a few hundred yards out. And I can swim well. So we went out there. We were happy. We were laughing. We're almost there. We're almost there. We all looked like goobers because we had on goggles, and we thought we were cool and trying to. But you get out there, you're ready to take a break, if y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've ever swam in the ocean, you're going you're ready to take a break. And we get out there, and it looks like it's four, maybe five feet deep. Well, we didn't think very smart, and the water was coming up as we were going. It may have been four feet when we started, but when we got there, it weren't four. It were seven. Because I'm about six and a half, just under six and a half feet tall, and I was like, surely I can touch, so I'll go first, and y'all are a little bit shorter than me. We'll be good. And I was like, oh, snap. Why? Because I wanted to hit the bottom and control what was going on. And be able to take a rest, which is what we want to do with God. We want God to do great things in our lives, but we want to be able to take a break and get on the sidelines and say, God, that was good. Now I'm getting a break. I need a vacay because I just need to be able to control this thing a little bit. I don't quite trust you fully, so let me just, let me just control what's going on here. I got really tired in that moment, and I looked at the seven or so people that were with me, and I thought, this is about to get real. <laughs> Because I'm not David Hasselhoff, or The Rock now is, is, is the new lifeguard on Baywatch. And I'm not going to be able to make this happen very well. And I'm not sure where this is going to go, but this is going to get ugly. And we're going to have to wave somebody down. And by the time they get here, they better have the jet skis or something because it's going to get ugly. Because I knew that I could swim. But listen, it wasn't about my ability to swim. It was my endurance at that point. And I think most of us think, I can fight this thing long enough that I can get where I want to go. And I can do this thing. And I think that I have the answer, so I start telling God the way that it's going to be. I do this every day, not trusting him fully. And it robs me of the fullest life in God. The other thing that I think about is a river. I've swam in some intercoastal waterways, and when the river comes into the ocean... Some of the water's going this way, and some of the water's going this way. I don't necessarily recommend that y'all swim in that, but, you know, if the other side's got cool shells or something, why not, right? And so, <laughs> praise the Lord. So I've, I've, I've swam across before. So a few years back, we swam across to get um, shells in Edisto. I don't know if y'all have ever done that, but they got the beautiful conchs. And so we went to the other side, got them, and we stayed over there. We hung out, we played, and then all of a sudden, the tide starts coming back up. Right, like it's bad news when you get to the other side and then the tide's coming back up because it goes from pretty easy to pass through. I don't know that we could touch in the middle and throughout, but it was such a short amount that it didn't matter to. All of a sudden, I can't touch the bottom like four feet in and it's going and it's going. And if you've ever been in a rip current, a true rip current, it takes you wherever it wants to take you. You don't get to decide. Michael Phelps could drown in that water. It has huge signs. Do not pass. So we pass because that's what we do, right? And it was, really, it was really scary. For the first time in my life, not just endurance, but I felt good. I was really nervous because there was one time that we got pulled under and we kept swimming and we balled up. And we... But in that moment, it shot us somewhere that we didn't even know where we were anymore. Now, we were still in that river, but it took us downstream about 20 feet and we were upside down and we couldn't tell right from up because it is not up to me at that point. I am not strong enough under any circumstance to be, to be able to get through that. That is what the Spirit of God is like. And if you need control in your life, 
because shame is robbing you of your personhood, you'll never experience what he has for you, and it is absolutely unbelievable. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen or ear has heard or heart of a man can even imagine or woman can even imagine. You can't even imagine what God has prepared for, for you. Why? Because I'm limited in what I can think, but I want all the knowledge here and I don't want it to hit here. And it robs me of something and I'm about to start preaching right now. So I need y'all to lean in because this is about to get good. Here's what we miss in verse 9. The awareness of my past results in me wanting to control my future. The awareness of my past is the problem. I bring up these things and say, yes, I trust you, God. But I got to hold on because I'm not sure if I can trust you because I lost this in my life. Because it always is lost. It's always something I don't want. And it hurts. But here's what you miss. It says, wherever the river goes. Jesus stood on a box, listen, in John 7. It says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Because out of me flows living water. It's a living water that can never run dry. It's it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's powerful. But it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's unbelievable what happens when God has all of you. He does not want your mind. He wants all of you. And then things will begin to shift in your life. It says, whichever way the river goes, every living creature that that swarms will, what's this word say? Say it loud. So all of them out there that darkness is filling the place and they're far from God, when the Spirit of God is in me, not because of what I say, not because of how cool I am, not because of my job, but because the Spirit of God is alive in me, dead things start living again. And I don't mean going to the grave, I mean spiritual death and spiritually alive. And there will be many fish for this water that was salty and dead becomes alive And the waters of the sea may become fresh so that everything will live where the river goes. Did y'all hear that? Everything. When I'm walking around, listen, I need you to know this. This is not some magic river that's going to start popping out and look like a river. It's you. Because you house the Holy Spirit of God when God is inside of you. And most of us want God, but then we want to stay there and say, praise God, I get out of heaven, or I get out of hell free and get to go to heaven, and now I get just to do my thing. He did not make you to do your thing. He made you to reproduce after his own kind. And all of a sudden, we look at people and we say, why is it when that dude starts talking to people that things start happening? Because the river of life is flowing out of him and dead things start coming alive. It's not about how smart he is. It's about who's controlling him. And it's amazing what happens because everything that comes in path with me becomes alive. But we remember all of our past and we let that dictate our future rather than the Lord Jesus saying, you're my son and you're my daughter. And then on the banks of both sides of the river grows all kinds of trees and all kinds of fruits. And their leaves never wither. And the fruit fruit never fails. But they bear fresh fruit every month because of the water that flows from the sanctuary. I need you to know that that's right here in your life. This is the sanctuary. And their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Do y'all remember what the leaves were used for in Genesis chapter 3? Can someone tell me, do y'all remember what the leaves were used for? For a covering, right? And instead of leaves being covering for shame, they become healing, anointing. Because you get to decide if you're going to be 
a person that tries to cover up your own shame and be a person that is full of deceit, double-minded, trying to be one thing one place and another thing another place. Or when you go, light is shooting out of you, not because you're weird, but because you're alive in Jesus. And you have joy regardless of your circumstances, regardless of when people die, regardless of when you don't get what you hope to get. And the fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is like the best picture, I think, in the whole Bible of this. John chapter 15, that, this section says that I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit comes out of me, not when I try harder, not when I learn more, not when I listen to the pastor a little bit more today than I did yesterday, but when I'm clinging to and abiding in him, trusting in him alone, making him Lord of my life. He bears much fruit, for apart from me I can do nothing. And then watch this in verse 11. This whole thought is summarized by this. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I've told you all these things about me abiding in you, and then you back to me, and, and then I loved you first. I've told you all these things that my joy can be in you. My constant awareness of, of his goodness is in me because of him, and it's full when I abide in Him and Him alone, when I trust in Him and Him alone, when the river of life is flowing out of me, when my circumstances may be crazy and people think we're crazy and we don't understand and we go to jail like Paul and Silas in Acts 16 last week and we can't figure out what's going on and all hell is breaking loose all around us, it doesn't matter because my circumstances don't dictate my joy. The Lord Jesus dictates that. And I want to show you guys, and this is where I'll close today. But this is where it gets really good. Because there's two trees that we're going to look at in closing. And everybody in here, y'all lean in, everybody in here is going to decide which tree they want to walk out with. There's two different trees that you can choose today. And there's two different coverings that you can choose today. Here's the first one in Matthew 21. Jesus going back to Jerusalem. As he was returning to the city, became hungry. And he saw a fig tree by the wayside. Do y'all remember the fig tree? The thing that they covered themselves in shame when their eyes were open and they realized they were naked? My goodness, I'm about to preach. Y'all watch this. He said, he went up to it and found nothing on it but leaves. I feel like that's the church today, that we look the part, but we're just not the part because we're not reproducing the fruit that God made us to reproduce. And so whenever that happens, God does not react like he reacts here. But, but I need you to know that he didn't make you to do good, and he didn't make you to sound good, and he didn't make you to act good. He made you to be like him and to reproduce after his own kind. And when I try to do it on my own and control and be in the river about halfway and make sure that I got this, but God, I believe you. I got you right here, but I don't fully trust you. Then this is who we are. We are fruitless people that are full of leaves and we look the part. There's just no reproduction that can heal people and set the captives free and be the light in a dark world. We don't have that ability. And so Jesus looking at it said, he cursed it, listen to this, and said, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered up at once a tree could only wither up at once if it hit the root a fig tree could only wither up at once if it hit the root immediately and this is what God wants to do as a picture in you he wants you to remember the shame of your past and then remember it no more because he's choosing to let it wither up and die just like this fig tree did 
What you have defined yourself by, the rejections that you've defined yourself by, the stuff that you've defined yourself by is not who you are. It's what you did. You were guilty as charged, but no shame is on you. And there is a reason that no shame was on you as a picture of you don't have to cover yourself with the tree that you covered yourself with. This was not a fruit producing tree. It was a covering tree to cover what you actually are and to try to make you believe you're something you're not. And he said, curse on this, not curse on you. And then he said, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside the weight and the sin, the junk in our lives, the past, the regret, the shame, the hurt, all that sin, all that stuff that, that you remind yourself that you're not and you are all the time. Let's lay it aside and run with endurance the race set before us. How is that possible, pastor? It's possible because Jesus, with the joy set before him, by looking to him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, watch this, with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That is possibly the craziest verse in the entire Bible. Because we have misrepresented what joy actually is. It doesn't say with the happiness set before him, he was skipping up down the yellow brick road to, to the cross. It's not funny and it's not that at all. But he had an awareness of God's goodness in his life because he knew what he was about to accomplish. And so he never forgot that, and this is even better. He knew God, and he knew what God wanted to accomplish, and he knew you. And he knew what it would accomplish in you. And so Isaiah 53 says, Surely he bore my griefs and carried my sorrows, but I esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for my transgressions and crushed for my sin. By his stripes, I'm healed. The chastisement upon his head, the crown of thorns brought us peace. We heard this and I thought it was so good. The crown of thorns were these three or four inch thorns that went into his skull and it mocked him and ridiculed him and shamed him. And because his mind and his skull and his head was ridiculed, yours can be set free. Because his back that represents power was hit 39 times and was open like a ribbon and was so beaten that they couldn't even recognize him, you can be healed. Because nails were put through his ankles and his feet and he was hung up on that other tree, because of his shedding of blood, there can be forgiveness. And what was accomplished by him dying on the cross, he despised the shame of that tree. Shame is in all of you. But he despised it so that it couldn't be on you anymore if you receive it. What was your reality is no longer your reality because he despised what we accept. You don't have to be that other tree anymore. He went up on that tree with nails in his hands and he said, no longer is this who you are. No longer is this who you are. You're a son or a daughter. You're alive in me. Receive and believe. It's not just here. It's to make him Lord and fully trust in his name. That is how joy becomes complete in me. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and today he's seated on the right hand of God. This is what I need to know in this room. Are you going to leave here and say, that was cool and all, Pastor. You gave us a lot of information and I love the stuff about shame and I want to receive joy and have the awareness of God. But I'm going to try to cover up what I'm not 
the rest of my life to make sure that people can't see me? Or are you going to say, enough with that. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. God, you can have all of me. Because with joy in his heart, y'all, joy, awareness, and the beauty of God's presence, he walked up that hill and got up on that cross. Why? Because he knew that death was defeated. He knew that shame was defeated. He knew that I was going to be an overcomer, and so were all of you. He knew that we were going to be alive in him and be his sons and daughters and walk freely in his name. We knew that He knew that shame, even though it came into existence in Genesis 3, was no longer going to be in this person and these people's existence because we receive him. He knew that my reality, even though I don't know where the river's going, is going to be the river because I receive him and I believe him, and then I say, God, I fully trust you, now let's go. No longer does this have to be your reality where shame is who you are. Alive and active. A river of life, that can be your reality. But you get to decide. This is the thing that's frustrating and exciting all at the same time. Your circumstances, you don't get to decide. But who has access and control? That's what you get to decide. Who is the God of your own universe? That's what you get to control. So today, the response is this. Who is the God of your universe? Because only to the people that have said, I trust Jesus. I fully trust you, Jesus. I believe that you died and that you rose again for my sin and for my shame so that I could be your son and daughter. And today I give you my life in the best way I know how. I'm just going to walk with you, but I'm not going to try hard alone. I'm just going to go where you take us. I trust you. Forsaking everything else in my life, I trust you. I believe that there's many of you in this room that need to say, no longer will I be a man or woman of shame, but I'm going to be a son or daughter of the King. Will y'all bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If that's you in this room, I believe the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart right now. And I believe I don't have to manipulate you to get you to do something. But I want you to know that it doesn't have to be what it's been. Life is going to be hard sometimes. But you'll have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you'll have new life in his name. It's beautiful. I need to know in here, would anybody in here say, Pastor, I want to make the decision to follow Jesus. I don't care what someone around me thinks. I don't care what anybody close to me thinks. I don't even care what I did this week or last night. I want to receive new life in Jesus. I want to receive the tree of forgiveness and tree of life. And I want to follow him with all of me. I will follow Jesus. If that's you, no manipulation. But this takes a lot of boldness. I just want you to, you will not be embarrassed. We want, to, we want to help you and celebrate with you. But I just want you with no one looking to stand up and say, I will follow Jesus in this room. I don't know him. We had one person that was bold enough to stand up. Y'all, if this is for you and the Lord's pulling on you, nothing will hold you back. I want to know, is there anybody in here that would say, right now, Pastor, that's me. I believe there's people in here that this is your reality right now. Are you the one that will stand up and say, I will follow Jesus Christ. I will receive salvation in Jesus' name. I'm going to give you a few seconds because I believe this is somebody's reality in this room. I will follow Jesus Christ. This is for everybody in the room.
God doesn't save you standing up or raising a hand. God saves your heart. That's what really matters. I don't believe you have to stand up to be saved. And the last thing I want to do is embarrass you. But I need to know in this room, is there anybody in here that would say, the reality is I've been operating in shame and the world around me knows it. And I don't want that anymore. I want to be engulfed in trusting the Lord. I want my home to be full of joy. I'm ready for joy today and the days after to be what defines me. I'm tired of remembering what it was and I'm ready to remember what it's going to be. I'm ready for joy to be who I am because his joy is in me and my joy is full. If that's you in here, I just want you to stand up and say, Pastor, I'm with you. That's me in this room. I know that you're talking straight to me. And I feel like this is not salvation. This is just a declaration. I'm saved, but I'm ready for joy to be who I am. Thank you. I'm ready for joy to be who I am, and I'm ready for that to be what we do in this place. I'm ready for God to have all of me. I do not want God to have part of me. I'm ready for God to have all of me. Lord, I have no idea all the people that are standing but I'm thankful I'm thankful for the people that are sitting God I am ready to see what it looks like when an army rises up not of great talented over the top better than everybody else people because God that is so aimless and pointless I'm ready for a people who are yours whose joy is complete in you whose life is overabundant in you to make a difference in this world that we live in. God, this world does not need a bunch of people talking about how cool and then living a lifestyle that is completely opposite of what we say. Lord, this world needs that river of life flowing through it and the light that shines in the darkness illuminating it because your joy is in us and it's full. And so, God, today we declare as a people, and we declare as a church, and we declare in this house that you are our God, and we are your people, and we are alive in you, and we believe you, and we trust you. And, God, we're letting go of the side of the, of the pool. We're, we're taking our toes out of the sand, and we're just letting the, the water go wherever it's going to go. It's not weird. It's not crazy. We just trust you, Lord. We're walking with you. It doesn't change all of our circumstances, Lord, but we trust you. We believe you, and we will follow you wherever you go. We love you, Jesus, and we're going to worship you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand with us, this song is one of my favorite songs, y'all, and I just feel like maybe some people need to come up here and just pray. We got some people that will pray with you, but I just want you, you don't have to kneel, you can stand, but if you've operated where people, when they see you, you're embarrassed, no shame on you, but you don't have to continue to be that. If you're hurting so deeply that you don't even know what to say, and just come down here and cast your burdens at Jesus. Jesus is everywhere, so he's not just here, but we'd be honored to pray with you. Don't stay in your seat. If this is you, come on. Let God have all of you and move. And today, let's declare that he is our place of freedom. Come on, y'all, sing with us.